This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He put, oh, he's going hard for up the right sideline. Yeah, he's got to go. He's tackled. Sam Houston wins it. The Bearcats capture their first FCS championship. Welcome, everybody, to the Small College Podcast presented by Dave Campbell's Texas Football. This is the Republic of Football. I am your host, Mike Craven, joined as always by Corey Hogue. We're going to talk uh, like we do every week. We're going to review a, a few games from week five, preview a, a few games from week six. Corey and I were at the Battle of the Piney Woods in Houston on Saturday. How are you feeling? That's a lot of driving for you. Wichita Falls to, to NRG is a, a decent trek. How are you doing? You, you know, Mike, it's funny because I think I'm starting to figure out why I dread the start of football season so much. And it's because you just get worn out. We, in a 24-hour period, uh, well, beginning at 2.30 on Saturday uh, through, I believe, the Cowboys game ended at 3. So about a 24-and-a-half-hour period. I covered two football games and had eight hours of driving, and that's not my drive home from the Cowboys game. And so, you know, you pay you pay mentally and physically for those days. <laughs> A hundred percent, hundred percent. It's uh, it's awesome and bad at the same time. I think everybody who's a part of football in any capacity uh, can agree with that. So, oh, it was the greatest weekend ever. We'll get into the review section of week five. Let's start with the big one. The ninety-sixth and final battle of the Piney Woods was a classic in NRG Stadium. It is fair to say that Sam Houston won the war for the eleventh straight time. The Bearcats knock off the Lumberjacks to finish this with a series lead of sixty thirty-four and two 18 and three this century SFA loses a fourth quarter lead for the third time in three tries under Colby Carthel as Sam Houston wins 17 16 on a final minute touchdown run on fourth and goal a fourth and goal that SFA had already come up with a stop on had an offsides penalty uh, so Sam Houston got five shots there at the goal line ended up being the fifth time being the charm uh, for the Bearcats just a heartbreaking loss for SFA a tremendous win for Sam Houston, I guess, Corey. Uh, where do you kind of start with this? Is this more uh, uh, Sam knows how to win? This is just their their pedigree and knowing how to win? Is this uh, SFA just not being able to get kind of the monkey off their back, so to speak? It's funny you say that because I have coming out in the Blitz tomorrow, I am dissecting the last two Battle of the Piney Woods. And by the way, I can't call it the final one. Uh, because I believe that some point in the future they will play again. I, I can't. I can't think it won't happen at some point. I know it, right now it's pessimistic. I get that, but I, I really hope this can can you know go again later on. If 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 like SFA moves up, yeah, that that SFA moving up is the only way this thing continues as an FBS and F, FCS matchup. It just makes it no sense for either side to have a rivalry that close. To not be because Sam's Sam's not going to pay SFA yeah. to play that game, and SFA is not going to play that game for free. Because as Colby Carthel told me in the article I put out last week, we're about to play a FBS team at a neutral site for free, and that makes zero sense. Yeah, no, and, and they're both right. 
both positions are a hundred percent right, but I just there's a part of me that believes SFA will be FBS. Yeah, and that's why I can't I can't say that this will be the final because as soon as they become FBS, you know this rivalry is starting over again. Hundred percent, it should. Uh, but yes, back to your original question. When I break down the last two games, because I heard in the press box so many times, I watched this game last year. And so I really, and I heard it from like, from you and like so many people, you know, they just, I, I watched, this is the same game. And you know what? It kind of was when I look back at it. And so I break down some of the stats and kind of what happened and the differences in my conclusion. I'll go ahead and give away the conclusion. The stats are something you really want to take a look at tomorrow. But the conclusion of this is Sam Houston under Casey Keeler, they have gotten to the point they know how to close out games. SFA, Colby Carthel has done a fantastic job building that program, but they don't they haven't figured out how to close out those games yet. And that's the difference in the two programs. SFA will get there, and once they get there, it's gonna be a lot of fun to watch. I think we have pl- uh, pretty similar opinions on how football games are determined third and fourth down conversion rates, turnover margins, and then success in the red zone, not only just scoring points in the red zone, but coming out with touchdowns in the red zone. We were both up in that press box looking at each other after every time SFA got into the red zone and didn't come away with a touchdown. Sometimes didn't come away with points. How, how important do you think that was looking back on it? Just their, their le- Cause they could have put this game away in the first half and and definitely by the start of the fourth quarter. And it just felt like they just couldn't close that door. They they were dominating the game, but yet they never felt in control on the scoreboard. They felt in control watching, but not on the scoreboard. And you, you hit it, the red zone three times. They went in the red zone. They get nine points as Sam Houston goes in the red zone three times. They get 17 points. It's the whole difference in the game. That's what it all is, is that Sam Houston's defense knew how to to stop them inside the 20s. And that's modern day football on just about every level. You don't care what happens between the 20s. You care what happens from the 20 in. And uh, Sam Houston did that to perfection on Saturday. This one's off script. We didn't talk about this beforehand, so I apologize for dropping this one on you. It dawns on me that for so long, well, my whole my whole entire life, maybe yours as well, probably my father's and my grandfather's as well, SFA, Sam Houston was the best non-FBS Division One rivalry in the state. With that one gone, at least for the foreseeable future, I think we both agree. If they if once SFA eventually becomes FBS, this game will be back. So calling it the final one's probably a little hyperbolic. It'll be back eventually. However, it's not going to be back for the foreseeable future. And if it does come back, it'll be at the FBS level. What is the the best remaining rivalry game at the sub FBS level in the state of Texas? I guess to me, off the top of my head, it feels like it would be Prairie View versus Texas Southern. Yes, that is. That's the, actually the second one that came to uh, my head on that one. And yes, I Prairie View Texas Southern, the the Labor Day Classic is always a great one. I also think you. You have to throw in Mary Harden, Baylor, and Harden Simmons yeah. just because of how close those games have become over the last few years. And honestly, if you really want one that's kind of like the Battle of the Piney Woods, you take Harden Simmons, Mary Harden Baylor. You know, it's been dominated by Mary Harden Baylor, and Harden Simmons feels so close. It's the same way with SFA; they feel right 
there. And, you know, unfortunately, it's going to be a long time before they ever get a chance to, to have that opportunity again to take back that trophy. We could talk about that game for, for an hour, but we'll we'll move on to uh, to our next game from week five we're looking back on. Howard Payne won a thriller at Saul Ross that we are we, we, that you and I were keeping track of uh, at NRG during the Battle of the Piney Woods. Howard Howard Payne holds on for a fifty-six to forty-two win to move to three and zero in a- ASC play and four and one overall in the season. Howard Payne was up twenty-eight to nothing at one point in the second quarter. The two teams combined for fifty-eight first downs and over twelve hundred yards of total offense. Gore, do you walk away more impressed with Howard Payne or Saul Ross after this one? Oh, I'm extremely impressed with Sol Ross. And not just the view they give you from their camera you yes. know, when you're watching their game streaming it because it is one of the most gorgeous places uh, in the world to watch a football game from. But when I, I got into it, I didn't really pick this up the other day. It's hard. You don't really see numbers a lot of times on the video. But TJ DeShields was not in the Akron transfer. I don't know if it was injury, but he didn't play. And that may have been the real difference in the game because Sol Ross struggled and, like you said, got behind 28 points. And then it was like one play. Trent Graves was the quarterback, and he's a transfer from uh, Coffeyville Community College. And he – one play, a big play, I believe it was about an 85-yard touchdown pass that he threw, and that got the Sol Ross offense going again. And I am so impressed with what this team has done uh, what this coaching staff has done. This is a program that it, it's tough. It's a tough place to be, but what Barry Derrickson has done is, is just it's tremendous. And he's done it in one off season. That's what surprises me the most. He's turned this team into a high powered offense and, and it works. And the Lobos, they're not the third best team in the conference right now. That belongs to Howard Payne, but they're going to be in a battle for that fourth. And I think at worst, they may be fifth. Uh, Now the next two weeks, they've got that gauntlet of Harden Simmons and Mary Harden Baylor. So, you know, the shields may, if he's injured, maybe that'll give him time to get back before they finish with McMurray, East Texas Baptist and Southwestern, all very winnable games. And two of those are in Alpine. So uh, you you really got to be impressed with what Sol Ross is doing and, Howard Payne, it's like they're just kind of just building up and getting ready for when they play that gauntlet of Harden-Simmons and Mary Harden-Baylor here later on this year. You know, well, let's say Mary Harden-Baylor is in a tier of their own and then Harden-Simmons is second. How close is Har- Howard Payne to getting into that second tier with, with Harden-Simmons? I think they're they, – they seem to be a little further back right now than they were last year. And it may just be because the level of competition just hasn't been there yet, but that'll be decided. You know, I feel like to, to get to that next tier, you have to beat the team that's in that tier. Yeah. And right now that's Harden Simmons. And if Howard Payne could pull off one of those, then they will assert themselves into that tier of teams. Um, and so Ross, look, they've already in one, in five weeks, they've inserted themselves into the middle of the ASC, and nobody saw that coming either. So it can happen. Howard Payne has just got some things to clean up as they go forward, and, hey, they've got time to do it. Our last game we're looking back on from week five, Houston Christian, the artist formerly known as Houston Baptist, at Lamar. 
Christian holds on to a 37-34 win over Lamar. Lamar remains winless on the season. Houston Christian led 37-7 with 7.20 left in the third quarter. Lamar outscored Christian 20-0 in the fourth quarter and cut the deficit to three with 2.12 left in the game. The offensive numbers were relatively similar, but three turnovers cost the Cardinals. Corey, just kind of your overall thoughts from this matchup. Lamar is going to be kicking themselves with those fumbles. The, you know, HCU didn't even get on the board. No offense at all was going for the Huskies. And then Rodney Dansby returns a fumble 18 yards for a touchdown. And Coy Miller returns one 40 yards for a touchdown on the next drive. And it's reminiscent of a game I watched a couple weeks ago where Harden Simmons had back-to-back fumbles that Mary Harden Baylor returned for a touchdown and it changes the entire game. And then, you know, Houston Christian used that. Justin Fomby's a really good quarterback. This guy is going to be solid. I believe he's got at least another year left to play. Uh, with all the COVID stuff, it's hard to know how many years some of these guys have. But he has been really good. And the offense got going. But then it took it took Lamar a little while. But the second half, third quarter, fourth quarter especially, they controlled the clock, which is what they've got to do. They held the ball for 17 minutes and 15 seconds in the second half. They converted some third downs. They converted some fourth downs. They got touchdowns in the red zone. They did exactly what they needed to do if they hadn't had those fumbles in the second quarter. So, honestly, I come away from this game with more questions about both teams, and, and it kind of feels like that's how it's supposed to be when these two teams play. There's just a lot of questions. I like I, I like what Lamar's doing. I think they're getting a lot better. They're improving. The talent's definitely uh, more improved than it's been over the last couple of years. I watched them last year against UTSA, and you can tell. It, it, I know that's not a fair fight, but you can usually get a good feel for FCS talent uh, in those kind of games, and you can tell Lamar was was a while away. They've looked a lot better this year. Uh, but as we've mentioned in previous podcasts, that last step can be really hard. It's one thing to get your talent level up to the point where we should compete in these games, but making that next step to winning those games, closing out those games and playing well in big moments is just something you have to learn through experience. It's just, it's just not something that you can just show up and just figure out how to do. That's exactly right. And you know, I I'm, I'm hearing some Lamar fans that are starting to begin become a little impatient with Blaine Morgan. And I just, I just ask you to pump the brakes on this Give this man time. The program was in pretty bad shape. I, they made the playoffs a few years ago, but that was kind of a real surprise that they made the FCS playoffs. They and, and the program has been really down since. And Morgan's building it. He's doing. He's building it from the ground up. He's not building with transfers. He's building with high school players. And when you do that, it takes a lot of patience. And the the hardest area to win is on the line of scrimmage. And all of their offensive linemen returned, but they're all sophomores. You wait till those offensive linemen are juniors and seniors, it'll be a much better group. Same with the defensive line. It's just the the line is one area you see coaches look for transfers to come in all the time to play the older transfers because there's just a big difference between a 22-year-old and an 18-year-old. And there's not a thing you can do about that except give them time Lamar's showing some promise. This is a rough season, but I think they'll be okay in a couple of years. I really do. Mac Brown used to always say the best thing that can happen to an offensive lineman is the birthday. 
And uh, I think we're uh, I think we're seeing kind of kind of why that is across across the country. You look at all the young offensive lines across the country, and they they've been struggling. Let's look ahead to week six. Yes, folks, we are already in week six of the college football season. Your guess as how that happened is as good as mine, I would assume. We'll start in the SWAC Southern two and two at Prairie View A and M three and two Saturday at four p.m. on ESPN Plus. Prairie View is on a two-game winning streak with victories over Alabama State and Grambling. The the Panthers can take a big step towards winning the West Division of the SWAC with a win over Southern, a team that you watched lose 24 to nothing to Texas Southern earlier this year. Corey, anything for Prairie View to be concerned about in this matchup, considering, you know, I, I know transitive stuff doesn't always apply, but, you know, they beat a Texas Southern team that pretty handily beat this Southern team. Oh, Prairie View has a whole lot to worry about. And it's why this game is so intriguing to me. Because Eric Dooley was the coach of Prairie View last year. And now he's back. But he's over there with Southern. And, um, man, you talk about some fire. So, yes, look, th- this is one of those so intriguing coaching matchups. Because Eric Dooley knows Prairie View. And Prairie View <laughs> knows Eric Dooley. They know what Southern's going to do. They know how they want to run that offense. This one's going to be so much fun. It's, I imagine maybe not on the field as much, but in the stands, it, it could be it could be a lot of uh, – it could be interesting in the stands. It really could. Those, I love HBCU fan bases are so passionate about football, and they travel, and Southern travels so well. You know they're going to come over there, and, and the Panthers will be ready too, so – this game is just so intriguing to me, and it's all because of the head coaching matchups. It really is. It's a great game, and Prairie View needs this game. If Prairie View wants to win the West, they have to win this game. They have to beat Southern. They have to beat Alcorn. That's just how it is. They've already taken care of Texas Southern and Grambling. So you you run the table in the West, you're going to be playing in a championship game, and that's what Prairie View expects right now. It almost feels that Prairie View needs to kind of guard itself against too many emotions, right? Like it, it feels like this game is going to be one where it's more important to Prairie View than to Southern. I, I'm sure for Dooley, it, it's really important. You want to come back and, and show well against your old fan base, your old players. But those players, for the most part, were, were recruited to Prairie View A&M to play for him. We're talked into coming to Prairie View A&M to play for him. He leaves. You want a little bit of that revenge, right, for lack of a better word. And Bubba McDowell wants to kind of this will give him a big win in terms of a head coach to kind of turn the page on the last guy and show the fan base you're moving in the right direction. So for me, Prairie View AM just needs to play well in the first quarter, weather that storm, weather those emotions, and then they're the better football team as long as they can avoid uh, turnovers, big plays. They should be able to win this one. Uh, up next on the preview, Abilene Christian at four and one going to SFA, who is now two and three at 6 p.m. on ESPN+. Plus, The only loss for Abilene Christian on the season was against Missouri on the road. They've beaten their other four opponents by a combined score of 109-44. to SFA is coming off a crushing loss to Sam Houston. Is this an upset alert situation for SFA, or do we even consider this an upset anymore if Abilene Christian was to win this game? Okay. Abilene Christian. I love you. I plan on visiting here in a few weeks. But this game is going to tell us everything. We don't know you. We don't know who you are under Keith Patterson yet, but we're about to find out. 
And, and we're going to see SFA, I, I think we already know. When, when they lose, that's that's a tough loss. But I, I yesterday, on Monday morning, Colby Carthel had that team ready for Abilene Christian, and all he's got to do is say, they're 4-1, and one, guys, and they're coming in here to beat you. Now, this is a non-conference game. They will play later in conference in Abilene. That might be the game I go to because when you play a team twice like that, that's where it really gets interesting as to the adjustments you make. But when I look at Abilene Christian's schedule, they got four wins. Lamar, Prairie View, Division II Western New Mexico, and Utah Tech. Those are teams that are not even in the middle, really, of the FCS overall. Those are more towards the – and then you've got a Division II team in there. You're supposed to win those, and you have. Congratulations. You've done, you've done really well. Now the season begins for Abilene Christian at SFA, home against Southern Utah, at North Dakota and Tarleton and Sam Houston in three straight weeks before they host SFA in the season finale November 19th. That, this, this right here, they're either going to pull off a couple of these or this season is going to tank really fast uh, for Abilene Christian, and I'm just not sure – which one it is. Are they going to do well? Are they going to tread water? Is it going to go south? I have no idea, so I'm hoping to learn a lot from Saturday. I probably should have asked Colby this, but I I have no idea. I I can't remember the last time I saw a schedule that had the same team on it twice, one non-conference, one conference. That feels like a very very weird thing, And and it leads me to my question. If you know you're playing this team again in a conference game down the road, do you save stuff? Do you not play, uh, you know, as not hard's the wrong word, but do you play a little bit more vanilla, you know, in terms of your scheme and your play calling to kind of hold some stuff back for a conference game that matters even more? Or do all these games matter to a point for a playoff seating where you just got to throw everything at every single opponent and just see where the chips lie? SFA cannot afford to hold anything back. They have got to play this game to win every game. SFA has got to win out now. They're done playing the FBS teams. They have to win out to have any shot of making the playoffs. So that they're not going to. And Abilene Christian's trying to figure out who the quarterback is right now. You know, Maverick MacGyver was replaced, uh, and and they did a real good job. You know, I mean that that's the thing. And against Utah Tech, um, they took out Maverick, and then Ethan Long came in. And Ethan Long went 8 of 23 for 92 yards, but he really let him down the field and did a good thing for me. He did it the week before, too. So it's interesting. They're trying to figure out who they are. So I think, honestly, it doesn't matter if Abilene Abilene Christian is not going to hold anything back because they'll be a completely different team at the end of November than they are on October 8th just because of how hard this schedule is and the personnel changes that may happen because you're about to find out who wins your jobs at all of these positions uh, here over the next few weeks. And then again, like I said, SFA, they know. Colby Colby knows they have to win out, and that is going to be the focus from here on. And last year after the Sam Houston game, they lost by four points in the week after to Jacksonville State, clearly a, a really good Jacksonville State team. But how, how do you go about – turning the page on such a such a loss it's a it's one that I think everybody in that locker room would agree they should have won it's one that you know you're not going to get another chance as not you can be like well we'll get them next year 
Um, how do you kind of turn a page on such a heartbreaking loss and, and go into the next game against a team that, you know, year in, year out's not one that's overly competitive with you? You know, a, a night of sleep does wonders for yeah. people. And and I imagine the, the ride home to Nacogdoches was excruciating. I know the walk off the field, I watched it. Like, I, I had true emotions and empathy watching SFA walk off that field. You could see the hurt. You could see the pain. You could feel it in Colby Carthel's press conference post-game. It, it, was, it was evident. But then, you know what? You wait, you, you went to bed Saturday night, you woke up Sunday morning and, and everybody's awake and it's a new day and that game's over. And I know coaches, you know, it becomes cliche to turn the page, but it's kind of like the same as a marital fight. You know, you go to bed, just angry and upset the next morning you wake up and you're like, Hey, well, it's not so bad. And, and I think that that's what SFA has to do on this. That's, that's the only way they're going to get through it. Well, you're talking to a divorced man over here, so not all of us. <laughs> oh, I'm divorced, too. I've been divorced once, not, so yeah, I know not, that. Not all of us are as good at getting over it the next day. We'll just leave it at, <laughs> we'll just leave it at that one. Um, <laughs> moving on Moving on to the next game, West Texas A&M at 2-3 and three is at Midwestern State 3-2, and two, a program you're wholly familiar with there, Corey. Uh, WT snapped a two-game losing streak with a 28-27 win over UT Permian Basin. Have you seen, on a side note, have you seen what's going on on their women's soccer team? Oh, I, I did, yes. Yeah, I, that's a, I, that's I posted a... that this morning, and there is um, uh, Kayla Smith is of Kayla Smith TV on Twitter. She, she is covering this very well, and I'm glad she is because this situation will probably, this could end up with uh, the AD uh, needing a new job and UT Permian Basin. This is a horrible look for the school. It really is. Yeah, it's it's wild. It is a wild. Anybody who hasn't seen that, go ahead and look that up. It is one of the more wild college stories that you will see. Midwestern State had its three game losing streak snapped in an over or three game winning streak. I'm sorry, snapped in an overtime loss to Western New Mexico. Corey, we do this every week, and I still have no idea what to think of the Lone Star Conference. Who do you see winning this game, and why? Well, I'll give you my thoughts of the Lone Star Conference right now. Angelo State, and we don't know from there. That's it. Right. That's all yeah. we have. Like, right. Angelo State's good. We know they're really good. I don't know. And this is a playoff game. The, the playoffs start this week for Midwestern State, if they even still have a chance. You lose on the road to Western New Mexico. And look, congratulations to Western New Mexico. You had this circled on your calendar. You made it your homecoming game. You you did everything you could to poke this bear, and you won. You did great. Congratulations. MSU, that's inexcusable. You can't lose to, to a Western New Mexico program that's still building like they are. And so who are you? You've lost to Pueblo, who has struggled. You've lost to Western New Mexico, who has been surprising, but still shouldn't be on your level if you are the reigning conference champion. So who are you? And West Texas A&M, I don't know you either yet, honestly. I, you you go out, you put up an egg against Texas A&M Kingsville, and you feel you should have been in it. You should have won that game. You, I could see why you feel that way, but you didn't. And then you play Permian. I, I know there's a bit of a, a budding rivalry there, but you had – it was down to the wire. I was kind of following that game on the drive home from Houston – and it just, it seemed like 
WT was UTPB was giving them opportunities to to win, and WT was having a hard time just accepting the gift. You know, it was almost like, no, thank you, no, you keep that. Yeah, you know, that's really what it was like. So, what's going to happen this week? I have no idea. I'm going to go talk to Bill Maskell today. I'm sure that's going to be a pleasant conversation, and um, and we'll see. I, I mean, West Texas A&M at MSU rivalry, huge rivalry. Saturday night at seven. I I'm looking forward to it just because I'm completely stumped and have zero clue who's going to win this game. I know this can be reductive, but this one definitely feels like a the team that makes the fewest mistakes wins. Well, yes and no. MSU's not been losing because of turnovers as much, though. You know, for West Texas A&M, that that is certainly true. For MSU, when you talk about mistakes, you're talking blown coverages in the secondary and and things of that nature. So it's a different level of mistakes in a lot of ways. I think sometimes WT this year, they're more sound, but they have a tendency to maybe force the ball and and get a few interceptions and some some fumbles at times. For for MSU, the offense is which quarterback you're going to pick? Are you going to be able to move the ball consistently down the field? And then your defense, the secondary can't take as many chances as they are. They're getting burned, and it, it has cost them in two losses that now your season is hanging on thin ice, if that. Our final game to preview in week six, Sagu 2-2 two and two, takes on Texas Wesleyan, 4-1. and one. Wesleyan is rolling into this matchup. Sorry, a thing popped up on my screen there. It gets me every time. I I would be really bad, just on a side note, I would be really bad as one of those people that has something in his ear. You know, when they're talking on TV and somebody talks to you in the ear and you're supposed to just keep talking as if they're not talking to your ear, I would absolutely be talking to my producer in my ear because I cannot, I'm like a dog in a car who's a squirrel. Yeah, that's me <laughs> at all times. We're going to start oh, this one hey, over. That's a skill. I don't know how they do that. I don't that either. Is a true skill, because I, I could not do that. I'd be I I wouldn't talk to them, but I'd listen to them and not speak. Right, 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 off. right. Exactly. They'd be like, "You need to keep talking." Be like, "Well, then you need to stop talking because <laughs> like <laughs> I don't know how to do both at one time." Sagu two and two taking on Texas Westland four and one. Westland is rolling into this matchup following a fifty nine to sixteen win over Wayland Baptist in week five. The only loss for the Rams was in week four to Ottawa. University Arizona Sagu is 500 on the season after a 47 to 20 win over Arkansas Baptist College to start the month of October. Corey, former Dallas Cowboys player Greg Ellis, overseeing Sagu this year. Kind of, what are your thoughts on that program so far and the job he's done? I know this one's going to be a tough one for him. This has been incredible because Sagu was an offensive powerhouse before. Now Greg Ellis comes in. And if I remember correctly, he played defense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so he's a defensive guy, and this Lions defense has become a really, really solid defense. But you're going up against a powerhouse. Texas Wesleyan is just a – they're a whole – they're that other level. They're right up there near to Ottawa. We've talked about this a lot in this podcast. They're so near. They just couldn't get over and score in the red zone to beat Ottawa earlier this year. So Sagu, if they were, they're going to, are they at that level? It's going to be their defense. That's going to be the key. And I actually think their defense is good enough to keep them within striking distance. I'm not predicting the upset, 
but I'm saying it may be a little closer than we think just because of Sagu's defense. They held Arizona Christian, who's a, an offensive juggernaut, to very few points. Like It was their worst out, out, offensive output in years. So that's what Sagu can do. The Texas Wesleyan offense isn't necessarily the powerhouse. Their defense is really good, and that's where Sagu's going to struggle. Keaton Dudick with the running game, it's going to be – you're going to need a lot more out of your passing attack this week. But I do think the Lions have enough of a defense to keep them within striking distance in the fourth quarter. All right, that will do it for our week six preview. Uh, for those who follow along online, we put out a new Texas 47 this morning. There are three schools in the national uh, championship contender category, Angelo State, Mary Harden, Baylor, and Trinity. Corey, I wanted to ask you, since we have a little bit of time left, which one of those three do you think is most likely to win a championship, and which one do you think is least likely to win a championship? Well, that, the most likely is Mary Harden-Baylor. And uh, crew fans, I just want you to listen to that. I said Mary Harden-Baylor is most likely. I, I know I rag on you sometimes because the expectations are so high, but you you are the favorite to win a national title in Texas this year. Angelo State is second. They're right there. They have a chance. I, I see Angelo State, though, more as a Final Four type of team right now this year. And Trinity, I would give Trinity a lot more credit and a lot lot better chance, but you've got Mary Harden Baylor. Yeah. And you're probably meeting them in the first round again. So that it's completely unfair how the NCAA does that. I understand why they do it. But you know that that's why I just leave Trinity as least likely on that. And then in that conference contender list, we have a pretty decent group at the uh, sub-FBS level. Incarnate Word, Prairie View A&M, Harden-Simmons, Kingsville, Wesleyan, Trinity Valley. Of those schools that I just mentioned, are any of those uh, a win or two away from jumping into that national contender category? Or do you think it's going to be those three teams that are there right now and, and everybody else is just trying to fight for the best football season that they can finish with but probably aren't on the level to win a national title? the most likely team that that has a chance and the schedule sets up for them to jump into that national contender is Trinity Valley. And I never thought I would say that after that week zero loss to Snow College where they just didn't look good at all, but they are solid. And now they've got all the big ones in front of them. They, they control their own destiny. If there's a team left that could join the national contenders, it's Trinity Valley. I don't know that any of the others – UIW can. UIW is the other one who who has an opportunity to, but that loss to Southeastern just really hangs over them, and I'm going to have a hard time bumping them up based on who they play in conference because the competition level is just not there. Yeah, and Carnot Word's the one for me that kind of looks like looks like a team that could figure it out. You know, they lost on the road. It was one of those games where it felt like the last team to have the ball was going to win type of deal. So. Uh, we'll see if they can get that defense uh, figured out even more and, and kind of elevate into that group. Corey, uh, real quick, uh, Mike, sorry, I go do ahead. want to say, I don't know if you saw Scott Van Pelt last night. I didn't. I did not. Well, on his bad beats, he did a lot of FCS games. He did Nichols in Northwestern State. Yeah. He did UIW's game from last week and UIW in McNeese, and they scored late. And at the end, he said, listen, Lamar – is going to play UIW, the Cardinals versus Cardinals. Let me tell you, Lamar, 
this game, you better play the full 60 because UIW will play the full 60 and score no matter how much time is left. They do not care. And that's exactly what happened. And then they mentioned that um, that Texas A&M Commerce was playing this week against Southeastern Louisiana. And, and Van Pelt said, I don't even know who that is. <laughs> so I'm watching this last night. I feel like I'm in another world. I'm like, what is happening? This is my life, and he doesn't even know about it. <laughs> then you get uh, David Bailiff on the SVP show. Uh, yeah. <laughs> those two, those two could talk for a while. If you just ask uh, Coach Bailiff about like barbecuing, um, you can get him to talk for thirty minutes. So, oh, oh yeah, yeah, uh, he, he loves to talk barbecue. He does love to talk barbecue, Bar- barbecue and uh, H E B. The man is a huge H E B fan, and he he doesn't have any in commerce, and so he has family members that like ship them H E B, like frozen sausage and stuff like that. It's That's uh, classic. yeah, That's it's really, classic. he's one of my favorite people. I often say this, so this is probably not original, but he is the Kevin Bacon of football in the state of Texas. Like any, <laughs> yes. any college coach, any high school coach in this state has a six degrees of separation from David, David Bailiff. He has been around them all. He knows them all. He is an encyclopedia and uh, somebody we must protect at all costs in this oh, state. Yeah. So all right, Corey, uh, this is one of my favorite things to do each week. I enjoy having you on. I enjoy learning a lot, and I'm glad that we're able to uh, cover uh, the quote-unquote other 35 in this state as well. Uh, probably better. I'll, I'll toot our own horns. Probably better than anybody else uh, in the country. So uh, please listen to this podcast, rate, subscribe, download. All that stuff helps with the bosses. If you want this to continue, if you like this kind of coverage, uh, please help us show it uh, to everyone else. TexasFootball.com. Corey does a blitz every single Wednesday. We put out the Texas 47 every Tuesday. He's got game of the weeks up. He goes and covers a game every week. Um, so if you're looking for non-FBS, sub-FBS content, we are the place to go in the state of Texas. We appreciate you listening as always, and we will talk to you next Tuesday. We're coming for you, Texas football today. There it is. <laughs>